Today's gospel lesson comes from Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A few weeks ago, the church staff spent a full day on retreat. After a long season of working remotely, it was a great time to just connect and be together and sort of reweave the spiritual fabric of our leadership team here at church. After lunch, I asked the staff if they would each name either a scripture passage, a hymn title, or maybe a Christian symbol that captured for them what the year of pandemic had been like. Matt Thompson is our expert on him, so he spoke up right away. He said, Master, the tempest is raging. We looked at him. I'm not sure it's in our hymnal, but he said, of course, it's about Jesus calming the storm. And we all know what a stormy year it has been. Sometimes it seemed like the waves were crashing in over us faster than we could react. I remember hearing about a woman who received an eviction notice after losing her job during the shutdown. And so her college-aged son dropped out of college, got a job so he could help mom pay the rent. And it sounds like an amazing family, an amazing young man, but the net result can be that generational poverty continues for yet another cycle. I talked to my best childhood friend in Texas a few weeks back, and she explained to me that her dad was showing the initial signs of memory loss prior to the pandemic, but during the pandemic, he had to give up all of his social outlets, going to his club meetings and volunteering with Meals on Wheels, and he rapidly spiraled down into what is now advanced dementia and depression. I watched many of you, parents in our church and parents in my own family, yo-yo between in-person and online schooling, and it seemed like every time you fought off one wave, another spike was coming. The lines of the hymn, The Tempest is Raging, do seem to fit. I, I went back and read it. I love these lines in verse 2. The depths, the depths of my sad heart are troubled. Awaken and save, I pray. Torrents of sin and of anguish sweep over my sinking soul. You know, what was unique about this storm is that we were all in it as a total nation, even a total global community. We were together facing the same storm. It, it wasn't like some of those other storms that show up in the newspaper or on the evening news, you know, the tsunami in Asia that felt so far away, though it was so dramatic, or this recent condominium complex collapsing in South Florida, so painful and tragic, and yet 
so distant. This particular news applied to all of us as a collective whole. It, it wasn't like those personal storms that we have sometimes each weathered, like an unexpected cancer diagnosis or a bout with depression or a layoff at a major corporation or even the loss of a loved one in our family. Because in those personal storms, we usually have people who are around us who are not in that same storm, and they gather close to us, and they help steady the boat until each of us finds the strength to sail on our own strength again. The Gospel of Mark tells us about the terrific details of the storm that Jesus and his disciples were experiencing out on the Sea of Galilee. This great windstorm rises up, it seems like, out of nowhere, and the waves beat into the boat in the cabin or the hull, fills with water so quickly that they can't seem to bail it out fast enough. But there's Jesus, asleep in the stern of the boat, and it tells us his head is resting gently on a cushion. Rembrandt painted the scene. On one end of the boat, it's rising way up in the air with waves underneath it, and the fishermen are holding on to the mast as if the wind is about to blow them off the deck, and the oars are flying through the air out into the water. And you look at that painting from Rembrandt, and you can just feel the tension, and you can see in the faces of the disciples sheer, sheer terror. And there, in the corner of the boat, Jesus sits calmly, visiting, as though nothing out of the ordinary is happening. The gospel writers well knew the ancient prayer from the book of Psalms. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves were hushed. And now the gospel writers call upon this image of God calming the seas in the storm, and they say, look, Jesus is the very presence of God, the one calms the storm. Now, Mark writes this gospel for an early Christian community, and that community is facing a storm all their own. There's this small band of Jesus followers, and they're trying to weave together a community of love from those from the Jewish tradition and from the Gentile background, but Jews and Gentiles have been at war and experiencing hatred culturally, religiously for, for generations. And so how could this project of bringing people together in Christianity really work? And, and in addition, this early Christian community is trying to share the good news of the gospel in a culture where the government is often hostile to their radical message of love. Nero is persecuting this new band of religious folks, the ones who follow Jesus. And Mark tells them a story of a storm as a way of saying, this stormy project of yours, don't give up on it. Jesus will rescue this project. What Mark teaches the early Christians is not just what to do in a storm, like hold on tight. What Mark teaches them is how life might be different after the storm. 
on May 4, 2007, a man named Dixon, along with his wife, Anne, out in rural Kansas, had just finished watching an early evening movie when they heard the storm alarm in the town go off. They both hustled down into the basement. They got their cat and their dog, and they listened for about 15 minutes. And they heard what seemed like hail, but later they found out it was debris. They came up, and there where their 1912 two-story Victorian house had stood was nothing, just rubble. In fact, 90% of the town around them in Greensburg, Kansas, was gone. Twelve of its citizens had died. An F5 tornado had come through this town of 900 folks in southwest Kansas and just leveled it. But they in that town, they were not just broken. They were also broken open to new possibilities for life. They decided that they would rebuild the town using what the latest green technology available was at that time. And so today, 100% of the town's electricity comes from a wind farm. And the city says that they're saving some $200,000 a year in fuel cost and electricity cost and thousands of more dollars on water because of the way they built the city back with energy efficiency in mind. The city residents gathered together to make out of that storm, that horrific pain, a new reality. They would not just be the same old town and the same old people, they would be a new community. Some of you remember back in our own American history in the 1960s, particularly the year 1968, or maybe you've read about the tumultuous 1960s. You've read about the demonstrations and the picket lines and the sit-ins and the bombings. In 1968, Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy assassinated. In so many ways, it was a tragic, storm-tossed year for a nation experiencing great upheaval. I, I was too young at the time to be aware of this. I don't have personal memories of all that was happening in our nation, but I do remember that my parents and my sister and I loaded up the car and drove one hour away to Dallas to watch television at my aunt's house. Now, why would we do that? We had a black and white TV we could have watched, but my aunt, she had a color TV. And we sat down with my aunt and her family and every other person across this nation and many across the globe as we watched human beings see what our planet looked like from outer space for the first time. It's tumultuous times, and yet something amazing was happening simultaneously. And that same year, the United States government wrote its first contract to build the first router, an initial step in linking computers that were spread apart in various locations. A national publication looked back on this year and said it was a time of danger and destruction and division, and it was a time of passion and possibility. I think we could say that something broke open and we changed as a nation. We were broken open to new possibilities for life and love and hope. 
And so I'm wondering for us now, how is it that sometimes a storm is just something to get through, something to hold on through, and sometimes God seems to create something new in the midst of the storm? How does that happen? Is that just something God does, or is it something we play a part in? David Brooks wrote recently, I think in the last couple of weeks, that after World War II, both Germany and Japan rebounded with miraculous economic success, while Great Britain also emerged victorious from the war, but they only experienced slow, plodding economic growth. Why? Why? He claimed it was because Great Britain only emerged from the war with its institutions just relatively scathed. They were really intact. They really hadn't suffered the same kind of destruction. While, on the other hand, Japan and Germany were completely devastated. All of the old arrangements were dislodged or disrupted. In short, in Germany and in Japan, things were broken open, and great innovation unfolded. And so for us as Christians, what is the difference between just suffering a time of brokenness or being broken open to something new, some new spiritual awareness? And how can you and I, both as a church, as individuals, as a city, as a nation, how can we emerge from this most recent pandemic disruption as not just people who held on, but people who have become new. One inspiring story for me has been the story of Dr. Cato. He's a transplant surgeon in New York. He, before the pandemic, had already completed a thousand liver transplants. He was also a healthy man, a, a marathon runner, having completed the New York Marathon already seven times. But when COVID hit, he became a COVID patient. He was on a ventilator in the hospital where he worked for over a month. One of the physicians who tended to him saw him one night in the hospital. And he went back and he got in the car and he just sat down and he sobbed because he realized they were about to lose one of their best physicians. Dr. Cato was at one point moved to a step-down unit. And while he was there, he began hallucinating and screaming and having these horrific dreams. And he, he saw that white light that many claim they see in a near-death experience. He had that experience, but he lived. And today, he's back in the hospital as a doctor performing those transplant surgeries. And the first time he did a transplant, he went in to see the patient who was in the same room coincidentally where he had been a patient. But actually, the recovery is not the miracle. The real miracle is what happened to Dr. Cato's demeanor as a physician. It changed his ability to relate to his patients. He said, now if I go in in the room and the patient complains about the hospital food, I say, try the Cajun shrimp, it's not bad. And if they say, these protein drinks are horrible, he says, oh, get the strawberry. And when they say, I, I can't deal with one more test today or that treatment is too painful, he says to them, you know what, I get it. 
I'm on your side, and you don't have to do it. I hated that part, too. He has become more empathetic, more trusting, more trusting of his patient. Even when the patient can't speak, he can communicate with them. Because you see, out of that storm, Dr. Cato was broken open to become a more compassionate healer. How can you and I emerge from the storm of the pandemic as people who have been forever changed? On the day that Jesus calmed the storm, something more miraculous happened than simply a drop in the wind speed. They go over to Jesus. They wake him up. Get up. Get up. Don't you care? We are perishing. The frantic disciples implore Jesus, do something, bail water, do something. Jesus looks into their terrified faces, and he says, peace. And there's this dead calm. And then he says to them, why are you afraid? Have you still not gained faith? And that is when they were filled with awe, completely awestruck. The text says they feared a great fear. Not when the storm was stilled, but when Jesus addressed them. Have you no faith? It's as if the storm had moved from the sea around them to the souls inside of them. And now they can see something new about life. Yeah, yeah, it's true. God is with us in life storms. But what the disciples began to glimpse is a new future. Transformed lives, changed lives. They began to see that they are the ones who can trust in God. It's enough to make any of us fear, a great fear. Because this one named Jesus will be broken open himself. He will hang on a cross, become completely vulnerable out of great love for each of them. And this one named Jesus offers them the opportunity in that awe and wonder and fear of fear to follow a new kind of life. Christian Wyman was a poet who had drifted away from his faith. He was raised in the church, but it was no longer useful for him. In his book, My Bright Abyss, Meditations of a Modern Believer, Professor Wyman writes about how he began to gently return to the folds of his faith. Part of that journey included coming to grips with the terminal diagnosis of cancer, at a young age. And part of it, he said, had to do with falling in love and getting married. I love this line that he writes about that journey of transformation. He said, I never so much experienced a conversion as an ascent to a faith that had been long latent within me. He said, I did not know what love was until I encountered one that kept opening and opening and opening, and until I acknowledged that that love was opening 
unto God. Sometimes we're just broken. But the miracle of God occurs when we are broken open to receive the presence of God and live a new life. 